Hi, my name is Echo-Jan van der Veen. Uh, I'm Head of Strategy and Managing Director for OGB Venture Capital. Hi, I'm Dylan Taylor, Chairman and CEO of Voyager Space Holdings. I'm Michael Maloney, founder of Satellite Design for Recovery. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. We asked the general public if putting humans on Mars is part of the assignment of NASA, are you willing to give NASA more money? Do you know what they told us? 54% of the respondents, they said, if putting humans on Mars is part of NASA's assignment, you can double the NASA budget. We're back with another episode of the Cold Star Project. I'm here with Ms. Artemis Westenberg from the Netherlands. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. All right, so I wanted to connect with you because uh, you are uh, associated, you're President Emerita of Explore Mars, Inc., and CEO of Explore Mars Europe. You're uh, tied in with this organization. And that's a very interesting topic, obviously, uh, going to Mars and setting up uh, a colony there and that. And so I wanted to talk with you about what Explore Mars is doing and, uh, and your role in it. So um, let's begin with this question, why Mars? Why should we go there? Well, because Mars is the nearest planet that we could actually live on. And it won't be easy and it won't be comfortable, I think, at first. It will be a harsh and dangerous planet to go to. But compared to all the other things we can go to with our present state of technology, this is the best option. And because Mars has a day and night cycle, and not like the moon, uh, water is much more easily accessible than at the moon. Uh, and other, a lot of other resources are more easily accessible. Planting food on the moon would be easier um, in general. So yeah, it's, it seems to be the right choice. Of course, it does take six to eight months to get there, uh, barring someone suddenly inventing warp technology tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So otherwise it will take a while. All right. So uh, the other big organization that I'm aware of is Dr. Robert Zubrin's Mars Society, uh, which has the intention of going there as well. So I'm curious how you would differentiate your organization from uh, Dr. Zubrin and his approach. Well, what we've done is we, uh, we asked ourselves what's there in technology, in stakeholders, in projects that are already there and funded by governments like the International Space Station, which costs an awful lot of money every year. So we looked at it and we thought, you know, we could say, you know, all this money could be spent on Mars. Let's not do the ISS. On the other hand, having the ISS means you have a platform in space to test humans for long duration flights. So what we did, instead of saying, chuck this thing into the sea, we said, hey, it's there. Let's use it for our plans to Mars. Um, NASA, would you be willing to discuss this? And so that, that was actually the first thing we did when we finally had you know, done all the IRS forms and whatever we needed to fill out when we were uh, starting in 2010. And we organized a discussion uh, evening at MIT. And uh, the deputy uh, director of the ISS said, I want to be on that panel. And you know, if someone of that level says, we want to be on your panel, you basically say, here's your chair, what do you want to drink? And, um, and so he came and in the preparations, and it was very short preparation from the moment we said we do this, it was six weeks. Um, we heard from his secretary that he was actually, you know, 
uh, skip jumping down the hallways, uh, whistling. He was really happy because he felt this was a very good idea to use the ISS for this. And that's what he told everyone in the uh, public, um, in that room at MIT as well. Um, and he said, you know, could you make um, all the other players at the ISS uh, um, the uh, participants in this? Could you convince them? And we went like, yeah, but how? And he said, well, if you organize, you know, a conference or something and, you know, you bring them together and you present this and you have the right speakers. And we said, okay, but who's going to pay and where are we going to do it? And he had some ideas about that. And that, that was the first uh, conference we did as Explore Mars at the George Washington University in Washington. And the next one was a conference in, um, uh, on the next year was in Europe. And in between, we did a Women and Mars conference, which mm. kind of was delightful and surprising to me. Uh, they asked the CEO, uh, Chris Carberry uh, of uh, Explore Mars, they asked him, you know, would you be willing to do a Women and Mars conference? Uh, the you know, leading women in space industry and in NASA asked that. And he said, well, you know, my president is a female and she's a known feminist, so I think she will be delighted. So let's see. And they helped us again to do that. So in the 2011, the second conference we did was in November and it was about women and Mars and it was illuminating to the luminaries. I mean, the higher ups at all the companies and NASA about, you know, what really was going on because they all felt like we have organized everything really well women can work in space industry be an astronaut or whatever at the same level a male you know it's not a problem there are no barriers and then you get all these women together and they tell their stories and these stories are all from very convoluted paths to become the prime uh, um you know the the the, the a project a scientist or even the scientist of some of the NASA facilities um, and you hear that you know it wasn't all so straight and it wasn't all so well organized and then one of the astronauts in the room she went to the microphone the interruption microphone in the in the hallway and she said you know what when I'm training at Johnson Space Center you know, the opening times of the uh, childcare facilities make my life impossible because they always mm. close before my uh, workday ends. And of course, men have the same problem if they have their kids there. But, you know, if this is to make me as a mother, you know, give me this opportunity, then you have to change some stuff. And they had other, you know, practical uh, uh, stories. But what, what most... You know, that was, like I said, illuminating to mm -hmm. the leadership because they were lurking on the internet because all our um, conferences are always fully webcasted. So if you're not there, you can still look at it. And apparently the leadership did. And they started to change the things because they felt they had done everything right. And then, you know, the realities were told and they were like, okay, that wasn't the way we thought it was. So um, it was interesting. What was most interesting and very inspiring was that all these women's stories were basically, if you have a dream, do not give up. Not because there are barriers, not because people tell you you can't do it for whatever reason. You know, if you really believe that this is what you want to do, do it. If it means a complete different shift in your career somewhere down the line, you know, even in your 30s, 
do it. Live the life you want to live. You know, pursue your dreams and, and go for it. And if you do, there's a fair chance you will make it. Um, and I always think if you tried and you do not succeed, at least you know you really tried. And it's not like, you know, you're 80 and you're thinking about your past life. And you go like, perhaps I should have. No, you've tried. Perhaps it worked. Perhaps it didn't. Uh, but at least that, I think, would give satisfaction. So let's explore Mars. And of course, in 2012, you know very well, the big rover was going to land, the Curiosity rover. And um, as we are a very versatile organization, we did this uh, guerrilla marketing campaign. We pitched it to NASA. NASA thought it was wonderful. And we did it and we attracted a lot of uh, hits on the internet. Um, in the two weeks that the um, website was up and running uh, just before and during the landing. Um, and we did it by saying, you know, getcurious.com. So actually in the website, nowhere was it set. Um, there was no inclination. No, nobody would know getcurious.com that this was about space or about Mars. And so we attracted a lot of people that might have been kind of unsuspecting. What was curious about the people we attracted, by the way, was that there was a very large group from London where the Olympic Games were going on at the time. So either people were bored, you know, fed up with just seeing sports or whatever was happening, but quite a number of people uh, you know, logged in from there. Uh, it, it, you know, it was a big success. Uh, NASA was very happy. And... Um, and we were very overconfident after that, you know, as it happens. So we asked, you know, is there anything else we can do for you if we are so good at these things? And, and that actually, uh, the, the, the questions and the discussion we had after that with the NASA leadership meant that the Humans to Mars Summit was born. Why did that be happening? Well, uh, talking to all these uh, stakeholders, I found that actually there is no Mars conference, not in the sense mm. that all the people that are actually building the hardware, actually training the astronauts, actually testing the food or whatever, they don't have a common conference where everyone comes together. Of course, they meet each other. I mean, the doctors meet each other at a medical conference and the food people meet each other at a food conference where then, you know, food in space is a sidetrack. And but having a conference completely dedicated to only getting humans to Mars and what does it need and how are we going to do it and how far are we didn't exist. So we invented mm. it. And that became the platform for um, you know, all the stakeholders uh, in America, but also elsewhere to present their, their ideas and how far they are. And they're very proud every year to present, you know, what they've done in the last year and, you know, how it's going. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing, of course, were the workshops. But that before that, there was this, this discussion we would have with Congress, with various officers. And you would talk about Mars, you would talk about space and human spaceflight. And often uh, staffers or even, you know, Congress, uh, you know, the representatives and even the senators would tell us, oh, yeah, sure, we really love, I personally love, or we love space and we love human spaceflight, but our voters don't care. And I asked, how do you know? Hmm. And they said, we know. 
And I thought my mom would say, ah, wrong answer. You don't simply know. You either ask or you research. It's not like, you know, you wake up in the morning and you know. So it was like, did you ask? And they said, no, we don't need to. We really know. Okay. So we went in, uh, we did research, we, we looked into the matter, and we found out that the last time the general American public had been polled about this was in 1984. Wow. And this was 2012 <laughs> when we mm -hmm. had this discussion. So it was like, you know, that's almost a generation ago. I mean, how can you know? Yeah. Um, also, why did we also ask this question? Is You, you know, in 2011, of course, the last uh, space shuttle went up. And um, if people don't care about human spaceflight, then they should behave really strangely. I mean, you don't take the few days you have off every year to come and drive to um, somewhere in the vicinity of Kennedy Space Center because it was so incredibly crowded that you can't say they went to Kennedy Space Center because it was completely overrun. I mean, I've been in a traffic jam after the launch uh, on the 8th of July for, I think, four hours. And it was only like seven miles that I had to go. So, yeah, it's, uh, so people don't care. Also, people don't care. And then when this space shuttle is uh, driven over the roads in Los Angeles, they stay in the burning sun for hours as if it's the Pope coming by. I mean, if you really don't care, that's not something you do. So we wondered and we said, okay, what does it take? to do a scientific national survey, uh, which of course was not our expertise. So we had to find partners to help us do the questions in such a way that it weren't you know, leading questions. Um, uh, also, we had to find out how much does it cost? You know, is there anyone willing to spend this money? Because Explore Mars is a not-for-profit. So unless you are willing to pay us, it's not really going to happen because all these projects aren't really, you know, a hundred dollar projects. And now, thankfully, we found out that having a national survey of a high level uh, is not actually as expensive as I feared. It was about $20,000. When I went into this, I thought it probably will cost 100K, hmm. but it didn't, thankfully. And so we did this, we prepared all this. And so by February, start of February, 2013, we were finally ready to set out our questionnaire. So it was sent out, wonderful. And it started on, I think the 4th of February, 2013, which if you look back in your history books, will tell you that that was sequestration moment in, the, in America. So all of America was in jitters about this fact that every department had to, you know, hand in money. And so money was very tight. And now here we come and we are asking, you know, we're polling the general public, are you willing to spend money on space? Because that's, of course, part of the questionnaire that's there. Um, now we did something we believe is very smart. We told people, kind of told them, not completely told them, but we, we informed them how much the uh, budget of NASA really is mm. compared to the national total, you know, trillions of dollars budget. Mm. And so what we did is the first question was, you know, uh, do you know the name of the uh, rover that had landed on Mars last year, August? And uh, they could pick some names and quite a number of them did know that it was the Curiosity, what was the right name. The next question then was, how much do you think 
in percentage is the NASA budget compared to the overall um, federal budget. And they were allowed to have, use a slider from zero to 6%. And because if you, you let them you know, slide into whatever, it would have been, I don't know, 10, 15%. Because people, we knew that people had very um, exaggerated ideas of how much it was really spent on uh, space. And so we said, you know, slide away. And they did. And in, on average, it was a bit under 2.5% that they uh, estimated. And then, of course, if you do a survey nowadays, you do it online. So the next window that you present to people then tells them it's uh, less than half percent. I think it was 0.41 percent, something like that. So it was really much less than they mm -hmm. thought. Um, and then we started to ask questions. By doing this, we gave them this feeling that if we say we like spades and you spend it on NASA, it will not cut into the education of my kids or grandkids. And it will not cut into, I don't know, the care of my parents uh, or whatever they think, because this is so small an amount compared to the complete federal budget that they would feel free to answer then to their heart's delight or not, of course, because some of them, of course, probably didn't like it. Now, what was nice is that um, within uh, 36 hours, we had uh, more than 1,100 people that had filled out the questionnaire. Uh, funny was that it was 51% females and 49% males, because with a questionnaire like that, you, you do have the fear that it will be male biased, but it wasn't. And, um, and what was interesting, there were three things really interesting. One, 74% um, of the Americans said, sure, 20 years from now, Americans will be walking on Mars. Okay, we're confident or very confident. That was their answer. Okay, um, then they also, um, many other questions, uh, they, they basically said, um, we don't want to go back to the moon, not really. We're not interested in the asteroid mission. You know, you know that that was still on the books in that time frame. And, um, you know, basically they wanted to go uh, to Mars. Um, we asked them, you know, why do you want to do that? Is that to show that America is the leader in space or some other reasons? Um, and that um, blew um, Congress away as well, because Congress was also want to say, my voters are not interested in science. But 67% uh, of the Americans here tick the box. We want to go to Mars to learn more about Mars. Never mind about the you know leadership in space or whatever. So with this, you know, the great thing about a uh, scientific survey is that you get this really big, you know, 60-page report from which tells you exactly, you know, who, where they live, uh, what their education was, male, female, uh, African-American, Caucasian, you know, and Japanese-American, whatever they were. And we found that in, on average, it was a very well spread uh, survey. It was well spread all over the states of America. It was well spread out over, you know, male, female, and, and all these uh, educational levels or income levels. Uh, and so basically, you really could say, this is the American answering you. And with this report, we went to NASA and we went to uh, Congress and we handed it over to every congressional office. And so a year later, the, um, the 
Charles Bolden, the then administrator of NASA, opened the Humans to Mars conference, the Humans to Mars Summit, um, with a speech telling us uh, we are going to put humans on Mars. And this was the first moment anyone in the world heard that this was the plan. And so we were like looking at him and thinking, whoa, um, this is not something that's okay, you know, politically correct to say. Uh, why is he saying this so publicly? And is this really a new policy? And yes, it was. So, um, the, so like I said, you said, what's the difference? Well, we try to go with our projects anywhere where we think we can make a difference. And we, if necessary, we are quite willing to reinvent ourselves over and over and over again. We don't feel that we need to do a project uh, forever. You know, we do a project, it runs well. Uh, we want, we are we're a small, pretty small group of people. Um, so if we want to do something else, it's kind of uh, important that we uh, hand this project over to someone else and you know do the next project. Otherwise we won't be getting where we want to be getting and we need to keep pushing the envelope. Um, and part of this pushing the envelopes is, is the uh, workshops we do. The workshops, uh, invitation only, biggest experts from NASA, from uh, academia, from industry, from, from JAXA, from European Space Agency and, and whomever. Uh, from European space industry as well. Um, and then we bring them together and we basically let them hammer out what a mission should look like, what it needs, what it really needs, not just what you wish for, you know, like the word drive, but what it really needs, what can we do with present technology, uh, how far are we, uh, present technology that we have, can we push the envelope a bit there in a way that is... Um, Realistic, like I said, if you need to invent completely new technology, it might not happen. But if you take what is there and perhaps you know improve on it, that's possible. And so basically, step by step by step, year by year, we've been doing that. And then, of course, Trump was elected. Now, the night he was elected, I was in a bar in Austin. I normally I'm not a drinker, but I definitely needed a stiff drink for a very simple reason. Standing there, I realized this man wants to go back to the moon. If for no other reason that he wants to relive the glory days of his youth. By now, uh, you know, we're a few years later, I now also realize that what drives him is to upstage other presidents, prove that he's better than you know, this or that president. So I'm pretty sure he wants to prove he's better than John F. Kennedy by you know, doing it you know, more extensively going to the moon. Um, the thing is, though, in the years since 2013, 2014, America has been investing quite a bit of money and effort in building the hardware for Mars. Now, if Mars and Moon were the same type of heavenly bodies, there would be no problem. You simply could take whatever you built for Mars and put it on the Moon and you're done, right? Easy. Regressively, that's not the way it is. There's only a very limited list of what can be done for both. And to make that known, what we did, we explore Mars, we invited the moon experts. So we put the moon experts and the Mars experts in one big room. We later heard that that was never done in human history before, not the way we did it. And we told them, you know, if we really need to go to the moon and Mars both, please tell us what can be developed for, you know, what would be handy for both of them. What can be, you know, what, what, where can we spend money wisely? 
uh, from the stuff we already built, what can be used for the moon instead of, you know, starting from scratch again. Um, and they gave us a list, uh, one of the uh, lists, uh, which something that I thought, ah, yeah, I could have thought of that myself, communications. The way we're going to do the communications would be the same on the moon and on Mars. Um, but um, landing is different on Mars than on the moon, because Mars has some atmosphere and moon has not. Um, uh, you know, how you live on the moon or Mars, because Mars has atmosphere, moon has not. And even if Mars atmosphere doesn't really protect you from uh, radiation, um, there is an ozone layer on Mars, there is none on the moon, no atmosphere, and so on and so forth. I mean, these experts, I, I was one of the uh, note takers and uh, I was supposed to, and I did uh, take a, a list of action items, actionable items, uh, during those uh, days in that uh, workshop two years ago. Um, and it, it was a, there was a list of stuff that we could do on both, but it was not as long as would have been, you know, great financially speaking. Um, then of course there was a thing that the president wanted to do this. Yeah, great. And Vice President Pence, when we uh, had an uh, information a meeting with him, not just us at Walmart, but others, he act, uh, about the Space Council, he, the first time we met him, he actually walked in with the Humans to Mars report under his arm. So the report we write every year about where do we stand, what needs to have the biggest attention right now, what do we recommend, uh, apparently found his uh, eye. Also, uh, the NASA Authorization Act of 2017 mentions the... Uh, the uh, Humans to Mars report and Explore Mars. So yes, there is quite a bit of influence. Um, now, of course, the thing is, as you know very well, the president, any president can say, I'm going to do this or that. And in the end, it is Congress that says there's money or there's no money. And um, now with this whole Artemis program, um, there's no money. There was no money hmm. given to him. Uh, but they've co-opted your name. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know, I know. I mean, yeah, well, I was there before the Apollo program, even mm -hmm. so. I would, this, my, my parents had given me that name in 1958, before NASA was born even. So, yeah, in that way, you're right. They co-opted my name. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, of course, the idea... Um, of going to the moon, it, it, it's not a bad idea. I mean, if there was um, uh, twice as much uh, as a, uh, a NASA uh, budget, uh, I would say go for both. Because I think there are good scientific reasons to go to the moon, do better research. Let's face it, I mean, all in all, these six crews, they were on the moon about 12 days, I think. If you know, you really, you know, put them end to end all the hours they were there. So that's nothing, of course, and not if you want to do some scientific research. So in that sense, uh, you know, using the moon for these type of things, yes. Problem is, though, um, the moon, um, for me, I always say it's like a desert island. You can mm. live there, sure, but you have to bring everything mm -hmm. with you, which makes it an uh, expensive proposition, even if you look at it and think, oh, you know, it's only a three-day ride. And compared to six or eight months, um, uh, there's only, you need mere oomph 
because you need to do a lot more braking or you will just slip by the moon and you know end up somewhere among the stars so there are things that uh, many of the general public have no idea uh, that are more difficult about the moon than about mars but like i said mars is not easy it will be harsh it must be meticulously planned and even then stuff will happen uh, it's you know that's for me the big thing is that most uh, of the general public think of the of mars and the moon as something that gives light and the moon is closer by we've been there so i think quite a number of uh, people on this planet are you know are cognizant about the fact that you can walk around on the moon you know and we've done it before and we could do it again um I think most of the public actually think that we could just go to the moon and it's no problem. They have no idea that we forgot how to build these Saturn V rockets, that we lost the blueprints. I mean, if you tell that to people, they always go like, oh, 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 oh. no, it's not a joke. It's true. Um, and so, uh, so in that sense, you know, the moon, they might know, yeah, you can walk there. I think most people will be um we'll have some idea that the moon has no uh, atmosphere and because you know the moon is not a planet i think many people will think of that that way even if that's not really a fact you know moons can have the atmosphere but you know most people wouldn't know and of course the thing that mars which is really a tiny dot of light in the sky even when it's really close by uh, you know every what is it 26 months um it's uh, the idea that it's really a place you can go to of course, the rovers help Im immensely, even more so than the landers of NASA. I mean, the fact that they are literally driving around uh, makes uh, Mars that much more real. It makes it a place instead of just a, you know, a light in the sky. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's... Uh, and now, uh, Congress seems to be uh, going well, uh, financially speaking, and support-like uh, with the Mars program. Um, and because uh, I don't want the um, Mars missions to be an all-American party, like the moon landings were, I, as a European, have chosen to step down as president in America. I've given over my job, by the way, to another woman. That was not a happenstance. I have chosen a woman as a president in Europe and have become the CEO it's not that I don't work with men, but you know, women are less visible very often in the space industry and in space projects. So why not uh, go for broke in this case, especially since there are really high level, uh, very famous even uh, women willing to you know, join forces here. Uh, and so I'm here because I want uh, the European Union to be a full partner, which means that we're not just, you know, I don't know, uh, design the wheels of the Mars pressurized rover and then, you know, hand them over to NASA. Uh, what, we, what I want, I want us to be the complete owner of some of the uh, hardware that we need. Uh, my my uh, option would be uh, a fast communication uh, satellite, um, a GPS satellite. Funny thing is I've been asking and talking about GPS satellites for the last nine years. And a few weeks ago, uh, the leading uh, CubeSat builder and launcher in uh, Europe, uh, a president uh, of uh, a director of that company that I know very well, uh, told me over um, uh, New Year's drinks 
that he actually has proposed to the Dutch government to uh, fund a, a GPS a group of GPS satellites for Mars because you know he thinks it's time and it's you know financially viable and why not do it okay great uh, next to that we could use uh, faster communications more uh, broadband communications with Mars uh, not just for humans but especially for humans also robots would be uh, more happy with uh, faster uh, bandwidth uh, faster communications uh, so that's something uh, we're actually pretty good at uh, satellites no idea where any of the uh, viewers of this uh, podcast know but uh, Europe has been building really big um, satellites to measure you know, basically anything on Earth, you know, weather, gases in the atmosphere, uh, how much moisture there is in the soil. And these satellites were built with my tax dollars or tax euros, and they're actually for free, uh, all the data. So it doesn't matter whether you're an American, an Australian, a European, or I don't care what you are. You can use the data streams and then build your own apps or your own whatever you need uh, with it. And so we've been helping companies to keep track of their shipping, uh, their, their containers, their uh, farmers to, can, to measure exactly how much moisture there is in, in the different corners of their fields. Uh, so in that sense, uh, you know, my tax euros have given something. And like I said, we're quite good at building these satellites. So why not build a really good satellite for Mars and free NASA money up to do something else? Hmm. Well, that seems pretty neat. I like it. I, I had not thought of um, GPS for Mars before. Oh, so yeah, it was yeah, the first and sending some, some constellations there. Uh, how important do you think private industry is going to be in settling Mars? Well, the thing is, you know, um, governments are fickle. Hmm. And I'm not saying anything new or anything. I'm, I'm not trying to be um, abrasive to any government. It's just the way it is. And so the people in power today might be outvoted, voted out of office four years from now, six years, it depends a bit on your political system and whether we're talking a president or a parliamentarian. Uh, and then they might pursue other objects, other dreams, other purposes, uh, which means that a long-term project like putting humans on Mars or even any space project, I mean, I think very few can be done within four years, um, we always run the risk that they are then suddenly scrapped or get less money so they can't do the real thing they were supposed to do because they have to economize on so many different aspects of it. And now private industry doing their own thing kind of challenges government. Okay, if you're not doing it, I'm doing it. Are you sure you want to give it completely to me? Because that also has consequences on who will be in charge on Mars or the moon. And so in that sense, having a, a multi-pronged uh, approach, having uh, you know, more variables in the basket, I think is a very good idea. Also, right now, we in Europe have no human-rated rockets. We're not intend mm. to build them, by the way. We don't have them. So either we rent them from the Russians. Um, I don't know. We rent them from the Chinese. That's actually an option in, the, in Europe. Um, we do um, work together with the, the Chinese uh, more so than the Americans. Um, so that will be an option. 
uh, or we rent them from the Americans. Oh wait, at the moment the Americans don't have them anymore. And <laughs> uh, we used to, you know, rent a ride or whatever we did, we poached a ride. I'm not sure how they did that uh, with the space shuttles. And now um, we don't. And now all of us would be better served if there was more um, opportunities. So if we have an SLS and we have a, a Long March rocket and a Soyuz and a Falcon Heavy, uh, then we actually have choices. And we can say this piece of hardware goes on the SLS and this piece of hardware goes on the Soyuz. And, and so uh, you uh, spread the risk, you spread the burden. Um, and I think like the ISS, you might also be propagating international cooperation. And in the end, it would be so great if we could work together and not just see each other as, you know, competitors and, I don't know, enemies. Um, in the end, we're all human beings. The color of our skin or where we were born is rather immaterial. Uh, if we go to Mars, I hope it will be completely immaterial, whether I'm male, female, my sexual orientation, my, you know, whatever place where I was born, I hope it will be a new society. Because if anyone is interested why I want us to go to Mars, it's not about conquering a piece of uh, land. I don't care about that at all. For me, it's about building a new community. And a community that I hope will be equal. Not in the sense that I'm a communist, because I'm definitely not, but in the sense that I would love a society where there is no bias because of male or female or, you know, or uh, a handicap or a weight or, uh, you know, how tall you are, uh, what your age is. I would like us to appreciate each other and what we bring to the table and all of us bring something to the table uh, because we all need everything and everyone to be able to build a community on Mars or we will simply fail. It's as simple as that. We can't go to Mars and say, oh, well, you know, I don't really like you, so I'm not going to let you handle uh, stuff that I need to survive. I mean, I will simply need you. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that is a very interesting idea. There are planetary sociologists. They're rare birds. Dr. Jim Pass is one of them who have uh, been trying to get it to come on the show. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if he's excited about public speaking or not, but he certainly talks about this issue of, of creating a, a different society and it's sort of veering off with its own norms. Hey, this is Jason Canigan from Cold Star Tech. Thanks for listening in. I'm going to quickly interrupt the interview to talk about a new course I am offering for space startup founders. If you're a space startup founder and eventually you're looking at getting invested in getting some of that good old venture capital pouring into the system, uh, then you're going to need this because I have done tons of one-on-one -on -one calls with space founders and discovered several consistent things that are just plain missing from their businesses. And uh, these things are so important that every time a VC looks at your pitch, they're going to say, nope, no thanks, bye-bye. And so if you want to avoid that problem from happening and actually get to the promised land of being funded, then sign up. All you have to do is go to this address and drop in your email and sign up for it. It's coldstartech.com slash SBM. 
That is for info about the course and the first part of it uh, will be given to you as it comes out. So go check that out. Do it now before you forget <laughs> if you're a space founder. And now let's get back to the interview. We, we've covered a lot here uh, in this discussion. Um, many of the questions I had, we, we, we just sort of covered in a stream of consciousness there. I know. <laughs> but, uh, the core, well, and I'm letting our, our viewers and listeners know this as well. The, the core or the, the key um, highest value for Cold Star technology is the truth. And I write that with capital letters, not what we wish was happening or even honesty, because I can give an honest answer and be totally wrong, but the truth. So what you uncovered about... Um, uh, women and careers in space and the actual feelings of the public in America about space is fascinating to me uh, because again I, I too had that oh well people don't really care about space kind of attitude yeah. and and where did that come from right where is the data supporting that and, uh, and I will tell you yeah. something else we did this first survey in 2013 then we redid the survey in 2016 and we got about the same numbers. Mm. And Business Insider, unbeknownst to us, did it in the end of uh, 2018 and they got the same numbers as well. So apparently mm. this is the reality and it might be, you know, for a few percentages up and down. But this basically is. And you know what was most interesting in 2013 while sequestration was going on? We asked the general public if putting humans on Mars is part of the assignment of NASA, are you willing to give NASA more money? Do you know what they told us? 54% of the respondents, they said, if putting humans on Mars is part of NASA's assignment, you can double the NASA budget. Mm. That's a considerable talking yeah. point with Congress. I can tell you that. <laughs> Over the years, every time we ask for more money, uh, you know, we talk about you know what it needs, the program, not what Boeing needs or whatever. Because I'm not talking for Boeing. I'm not talking for Aerojet Rocketdyne. I'm not talking for any one of them. I'm talking for the general uh, project. Every time we ask for more money, and we're specific, you know, it needs a bit more money here to make this happen and to make this go really on time, to keep on schedule. Um, you know, the fact that the public kind of gave them the okay to stretch the total NASA budget to $35 billion, and we are far away from there still, kind of makes them like, okay, we could. And with the... Um, budget the way it is in America, I actually think the even the present budget of nearly 23 billion is still not half a percent of the overall federal budget. Okay. So it's, now, uh, I've done something backwards here uh, that I think is interesting. Uh, and I think we can finish off with this kind of question. Tell us about the Explore Mars uh, organization, what its goals are, and it's membership because it's not just advocacy and and you do have a time-based mission that you're on yes. and what the next step that you believe is really important that, that uh, needs to be focused on one we're not a membership organization right. we're a, a foundation a, uh, a not-for-profit we have no members uh, we just have volunteers that work with us uh, we work we collaborate with many programs many stem programs also all over the world 
So uh, what was your question? What's the next? <laughs> right, yes. How, so how's it organized? How do people get involved in working with you? And then, yes, what do you believe well, the next focus is? Well, could, help, could uh, benefit from some extra helping hands, and it could be anything. Mm -hmm. uh, because yes, we, we, we do have volunteers when we have conferences. Very often those are students that help us out. Uh, we have uh, people that give us their, free, their time freely as experts, but it could be anything. I mean, you do need uh, people that write up, uh, help us write our, um, our newsletter, you know, to name something quite, you know, many people can write and write little blurbs that would help help us with our uh, blurbs on our uh, social media or you know, on, our, uh, on our website, because in the end, the more people that know about it, the higher the likelihood that it will actually come to pass. And although I do believe it comes to pass, because at the moment we're, um, we're actually looking at the 233 uh, timeline and the 235 timeline. And um, in 2015, I told the world we were going to land on Mars on the 6th of October, 2033. And I told them, everyone in the room and online watching me, told them to, you know, put it in their electronic calendar. And apparently a lot of people did, because 2033 became uh, the year we're going to be at Mars. Um, and so, like I said, if you have ideas, contact us. Because the thing is, we don't need to um, invent the next project. You might have the next project. You might have some inside knowledge. For whatever reason, you might not even be an expert, just, you know, an enthusiastic uh, commoner, a, uh, what we call a citizen, citizen scientist that is interested in some stuff and knows that, you know, if we go, we really need this, let us know. Because, you know, we perhaps can bring you together with, uh, with the experts and make it happen. We've done that with other uh, projects. Mm -hmm. And so why not with this? Right. This idea of connecting people in the same room who have never been there before, who maybe know about each other, but have never been in the same room before. I've experienced that myself on a municipal government level. And it's fascinating. Uh, everybody thinks the pie is only so big. But when you get people into the room, uh, the, the pie gets bigger and this person finds out that that person has something that they need and that thing is actually underutilized and so the capacity is just sitting there doing nothing and they go this wow is not, this is not yeah. a zero sum game right it isn't and it's also one of the reasons why i personally go to all kind of technical exhibitions and i talk to startups and then i find that they make stuff that i go like wow i didn't know we could do that do we actually need that on Mars? Could you please, you know, be and think about Mars and get in contact? And then I try to, you know, combine them with big space industry and say one of the stuff, one of the tiny parts you need is actually already there. It's built by this company. It's robust. Talk to them and, you know, make it happen. Okay. Artemis Westenberg, President Emerita of Explore Mars Inc. and CEO of Explore Mars Europe. Where can people go to find out more about you and connect with you and the organization? Uh, LinkedIn, of course. Uh, you know, Artemis Westenberg, you can find me. They're not, uh, I think I'm in the first name like that by my parents. I'm pretty unique. Um, thank you, mom and dad. That's easy. And then the other thing is, of course, uh, go online and uh, connect with Explore Mars Incorporated. I mean, uh, that's the uh, main first uh, organization. Europe is still in the, in the uh, building station, uh, 
so it's not there completely yet, but uh, we're getting there. And we definitely have our contacts. And if any Europeans see this, please contact me because I need your warm bodies to, to convince the European Union. I need you to come to Brussels and help me talk to them. I have people that give the, that have the inroads, but I need you, come. <laughs> All right, well, let's finish up there. Thanks a lot for being here today. You're welcome. Hey, this is Jason Canigan, the host of the program. Thanks a lot for listening to the Cold Star Project. If you want me to send you new episodes of the Cold Star Project so that you don't have to go hunting around for them or watching YouTube or anything like that, go to this page, coldstartech.com slash MSB. That's short for Make Space Boring, which is what we're all about. And uh, drop in your email address there, and I will be able to do that for you. Make Space Boring is another little show that I run. It's a shorter format, quick interviews, and uh, news of the day, and sometimes an update of who I'm meeting and what I'm learning in the space field. It's on the same Cold Star Tech channel. Speaking of which, on the YouTube channel, I can do something I cannot do on the audio-only version, which is add playlists. And so there may be topic area playlists on the YouTube channel that you would be interested in digging into and going down the rabbit hole and learning uh, more about. For example, space law and policy, space situational awareness, the lunar mining and construction and fun stuff like that. So go check that out. Uh, that is at coldstartech.com play. That's the short link to get there. Anyway, thanks for listening and I look forward to talking to you soon.